Flight 229, you're clear for takeoff. Just like a flight plan, you have to know where you're going and how you will get there when you plan for retirement. Let Ryan Fleming help you chart out a course for your retirement with his intimate knowledge of financial planning and the airline industry. It's time for the Pilot's Advisor. Welcome to another episode of the Pilot's Advisor. We are recording today from Osaka, Japan. And of course, we have a regular on the show today, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Mr. Lee Hyder in northern uh, Ohio on the, the beaches of Sandusky. And uh, Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. No, no, no pressure on me, the man, the myth, and the legend, huh? Well, you're starting to get to be a regular here on the show now, just because I think you bring a lot to the show. And I, I hope you're okay with that. I appreciate your time. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think you bring a lot of good points to good conversation topics and, uh, I like having you on. I don't know. I'm kind of wondering if nobody else will come on the show with you and that's why you keep coming back to me. That is a part of it for sure. But, uh, today on the show, maybe what we'll do because you've been on the show so many times is we'll try to ask a few questions to get to know Lee Hyder a little bit better. Uh, a couple things about Lee that I want to bring up that I think is amazing is, uh, and it's kind of a difficult topic right now with what's going on with the coronavirus, but Lee has done an amazing job. Now, granted, all his clients, unlike my practice, where they're all over the world traveling all the time, most of Lee's clients are in the Akron, Ohio area, and Lee has done an amazing job with his practice of having what we all refer to as the Hyder Herd, and what do we mean by the Hyder Herd is literally they meet up and have client events like fun social events, I've seen, I don't know, 50, 60 people at one time all wearing a Hyder, Hyder's Herd t-shirt. Um, so he does an amazing job of, of, of creating a, an atmosphere and a feeling of belonging uh, to help people through these financial uh, hardships that go on in the market. But uh, right now, I imagine it's a little bit harder for you, Lee. Would you got anything to comment on that or just kind of tell us how the herd is doing? Yeah, well, you know, the herd is doing great. And during this period of uh, somewhat isolation, I've kind of transitioned like a lot of people to Zoom meetings. And I do a lot of outbound videoing, uh, sending a message. We kind of have a fun thing that we almost do every Monday or every other Monday. It's called uh, Coffee with Lee. And that's just a short opportunity for uh, my clients and other people I know to, from time to time, send me a question about, you know, maybe the market or what they're concerned about. And we just take a two or three minute short video while I'm certainly sipping a hot cup of coffee and kind of address some of their concerns. So I do think it's important, maybe more so now than even when things were normal, you know, whatever normal means, uh, to build, you know, reach out and still maintain the, uh, the quality relationships that I think people really long for during this process. Well, absolutely. I mean, people, you know, probably feel a little bit of an, on an island right now in any way to bring them in. And then the other thing I wanted to bring up is you talked about coffee with Lee, and w- which is a great thing. I listen to a lot of those segments, get stuff out of it. But uh, are you done? You don't drink martinis in the morning anymore? You know, I haven't, you know, drank a martini in the morning since probably March 23rd when the market really had its worst day. And then we actually put out a video, which we jokingly called, uh, you know, Martini Monday. And, uh, you know, but again, uh, we just had a little bit of fun with that. I'm, I'm blessed that my clients really are long-term investors and they understand, you know, no matter what the frustration and fear is, uh, what we're going through today, you know, will pass. Well, now you know exactly why I brought up the uh, whole martini in the morning thing. Because <laughs> I did listen. 
I wanted to go into a couple things, and later in the show, I want everybody's ears to perk up because uh, something that I wanted to talk about was some financial buzzwords today, and one of them is last to die life insurance policy, and Lee's really big on this. It's not for everybody, but we're going to talk about that later in the show, so uh, stay tuned for that. But before we get there, I want to talk about some in-the-news headlines, talking about kind of the what's going on out there, what's some of the... You know, we obviously have all the fake news that's out there. And if you're ever on Facebook, there's all kinds of stuff on there. So anyway, is it, is it going to be is it going to be good news or bad news? Oh, I don't know. We're just going to throw a couple of headlines out there and talk about it. How's that sound? That sounds great. OK, here we go. According to a recent poll, 72 percent of Americans say that they'll prioritize financial planning once the pandemic is over. What percent do you actually think will? Boy, that, that's an interesting question. Uh, I think one of the problems with this pandemic is it really is pushing a lot of things down the road. You know, people don't want to come out to educational meetings. People don't want to come out to my college classes. You know, even people don't want to meet with me or some of them are even resistant now to uh, talk about anything either on the phone or, you know, during a Zoom meeting. So my fear is that people have kind of been anesthetized like a deer in a headlight. And I'm just a little concerned when those people that are fearful to make any change in their portfolio will actually pull the trigger. Because again, we're in tough times, but you just can't stop and do nothing. This is probably a more critical time to be reaching out to your financial advisor and coach than probably ever before. Yeah. Well, what I read out of this, you know, this headline is it, it just, I think the biggest thing that I battle with being a financial coach is getting people to take action, take massive action, implement things. And this is just another excuse to kick the can down the street. And unfortunately, investors aren't very disciplined. So when I read this headline, I kind of think, you know, absolutely, you need to be checking things out and, and having a good plan. But by talking about it when the pandemic is over, that just tells me it's procrastination, that people aren't going to do it. And, uh, you know, the way I know that for a fact is as soon as they allowed tax returns to go from April 15th to July 15th, guess how many of my clients, and this includes me a little bit, um, just procrastinated even more. And then the panic date became July 15th all over again. Yeah, no, abs absolutely. And uh, I, I think people will, will take advantage of every opportunity in, in, in any conversation point to just kind of push it down the road. But again, as I've said before, I mean, I, I think more now than ever, people really need to be thinking about, you know, are they properly allocated? Uh, you know, do they need to stop taking withdrawals from their portfolio? Do they need to make an allocation change? You know, I saw a very interesting post today on Facebook uh, that was interesting. And somebody said uh, something to the effect that, that knowledge is power. And I had to kind of come back and my comment as a reply to them was, is, you know, knowledge is really only potential power. You know, you really have to take the knowledge and actually do something with it. And I think that goes to the investors. I mean, investors know what they have to do, but during some of these fearful times, it's pretty scary for them to actually pull the trigger. So it's much easier to just push it down the road. Just like a diet, you know, everybody knows what to do, but it's very hard to implement and stay disciplined. Now, I thought this was a, a, uh, just a telephone call. Are you looking at a video when you're mentioning a diet by chance? Or are you looking at me when you say that? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, next headline. All right, I, I might fall under this one. And then, you know, I'm sure you have a couple of stories that you may or may not want to share with us about clients, yourself, what have you. But a <laughs> new term has emerged in the world, and it's actually dubbed the Corona Purchase. So due to boredom, everybody being at home, possibly extra savings or some other reason, 
people are using this time to make large purchases, boats, new cars, pools in the backyard, house projects, et cetera. So do you think it's okay if people splurge a little during this time or should we invase, uh, embrace some financial discipline and a sacrifice given the future uh, uncertainty of the economy? How about if I just say yes? But, but all joking aside, I, I think that really is a yes to both. I think it's an opportunity for you. You know, if you put proper safeguards and have some discipline, to you to, you know, maybe spend a little more time on Amazon and maybe purchase something fun, maybe just for yourself, for your children, for your spouse, just to feel good. But I would caution you, you know, don't, don't throw caution to the wind. I mean, if you're the kind of person that, you know, historically maybe, you know, you spend 50 or or $100 on Amazon, you know, don't, don't go out and spend $1,500, you know, on a new drone or something. You know, so I think it's okay to kind of embrace something, you know, as maybe a temporary pastime that, that kills some time. But I would be very, very careful of spending too much money at this particular time for sure. Well, and this is, goes back to everything in life. You need to have a good balance. You know, if you have been a great saver, you've been very disciplined, you have the ability to make these purchases, big purchases, Amazon purchases, and it's probably not going to hurt your plan too much. But for those investors that have not been disciplined over the, you know, the past 10, 20 years, you're in a much different position than those. I'll just jump on that discipline point again, because it, it amazes me how many people walk in my office. And when we do a financial analysis, you know, they're a little embarrassed to tell me that you know, they may have as much as $50,000 on credit cards. And then they, in one form or another, tried to justify it. But in reality, they, they basically come back and they own the fact that you know, they're not disciplined. They're very impulsive. And during this time of kind of hibernation and isolation, I think you have to be extremely careful. And look, I just made two stupid purchases on Amazon myself today, but I told myself, hey, this would be pretty cool. Now, they weren't expensive, but again, I can see that if you are not disciplined, you could certainly ratchet up those dollars and get yourself in trouble pretty quickly. So you've got to be very, very careful during these times more than ever. Well, and sadly, our culture is in a different place now than it was 20 years ago. You know, it used to be people would save up and then buy items. And now, you know, with instant gratification out there, you know, people want, want things now. And I'd say Americans in general right now, like consistently spend way more than they're actually bringing home, which is a recipe for disaster. Well, you know, one of the things I, you know, that was kind of interesting that I heard many, many years ago, it's, it's about kind of developing a habit of saving that if, you know, you're making $30,000 a year when you start out on your career, and if you don't really have discipline in saving down the road, when you're fortunate enough to maybe make $100,000 a year, you tend to find all you've done is ratcheted up your expenses by simply being in a position to believe that now that I'm making more money, I can afford more of these kind of luxuries from time to time. So it's really about discipline. It's about starting young and maintaining that discipline. And discipline not only is about, about investing, but it's certainly equally about you know watching what you're spending. Absolutely. I agree with all those points. Have you ever wanted to learn more about the academic approach to investing and saving and planning for retirement that Ryan talks about here on The Pilot's Advisor? Well, if so, go visit pilotsadvisor.com, pilotsadvisor.com. You can watch a quick webinar on the academic approach to investing. It'll show you how not to speculate and gamble with your money. It's all based on Nobel Prize winning research. It only takes about 10 minutes to get through the video and watch it. Going to be worth your time, I promise you. Go check it out right now, pilotsadvisor.com. It's a webinar that covers that academic approach to investing, pilotsadvisor.com. All right, back to the show. 
All right, so uh, here we go. Next phase of today's show, and I'll give Lee a little plug here. And you, Lee, you can't go on too long about this. I know you really get excited about it, but I uh, want to talk about some financial buzzwords, okay? Mm-hmm. So we're going to step into the classroom and cover some of these words and what's important to you, how it might impact you. And I'm going to tee, put the, I guess, what do you call it with golf? You tee it, tee it up for you and okay. let you talk about briefly about a last to die life insurance policy, because it's something that's a little bit new that people are doing a little bit more of nowadays. Sure. Okay. I'll keep this really brief. A last to die life insurance policy is a life insurance policy. Is that enough or you want a little more? No, that's good. Let's move on. (laughs) Okay. Real simply, here's what a last to die life insurance policy is. Um, Just like the, the, uh, the name of the policy, it does not pay the death benefit until the second of the insured passes away. So typically you're going to have a husband and wife own a last to die life insurance policy, or it may be owned by very possibly a trust, and they both are the insured. So when one of them passes away, there is no death benefit. But when the second, hence the name last to die, passes away, it now pays death benefit. Quite often, people will use this as a way to actually pay their ultimate taxes when they pass away by using leveraged money. Because for an example, it's not uncommon for somebody to spend five or $10,000 a year on a last to die life insurance policy and actually create five or $600,000 of tax-free money when they pass away. Quite often, in a very creative sense, we actually have the children uh, choose to make the premium payments and where they get the money for the premium payments quite often is by reducing their contributions to a 401k or an IRA. And this actually gives them what I refer to and and teach on called a uh, tax-free retirement because all the children do from time to time is reduce what they are contributing to their existing retirement plan, either at work or a self-directed plan, take those same dollars and put it into a life insurance policy. Now they actually have a guaranteed amount of money. They know that those dollars will be tax-free. They just don't simply know the date of the check. And you can't do that with any IRA or 401k. So ultimately, this is a great, great tax-free way to leverage your money. And the one thing that needs to happen is that person needs to do their job and die within a reasonable amount of time. So it, it, they don't go past that break even point. Boy, I, I guess uh, <laughs> saying you have to die in a reasonable amount of time would uh, be a very interesting topic to cover on another segment. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, as, as long as you die and you pay your premiums, somebody's going to get a very large tax-free distribution upon the last person's death. Now, can you do this with just one person? Let's say you just have a mom that's alive now. Can you put this policy on just say your mom and work, go forward from there? Absolutely, you can do it. Now, again, we're going to, of course, not call it a last to die. That's simply going to be a traditional first to die life insurance policy. But I will tell the listeners that life insurance is probably one of the most misunderstood assets. And interestingly enough, uh, today, almost the largest group of people purchasing life insurance, and it may surprise the listeners, are people that are retired. Because those people understand that, you know, during, you know, the, the years they have left, you probably can't out earn life insurance, especially when you realize that it's tax free. So again, another thing that clients will do from time to time is if they're taking a required minimum distribution from an IRA or a 401k, and they don't need those dollars, they simply take those dollars and reinvest them back into a life insurance policy to actually create a tax free guaranteed distribution using leveraged money to do it. And an important point here is these are clients that we have that are in a position where they don't need that money and they're really looking at a better way, a more leveraged way to pass on a legacy to their children. This is not for someone that is literally 
on a budget and probably are going to, you know, they don't, they're not sure if they're going to run out of money or not in retirement. So I think that's a, something that we do need to at least throw out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just simply another way. Look, if somebody's getting, you know, fifteen or twenty thousand dollars on a required minimum distribution, they pay their tax, and they only need a couple thousand of those dollars to pay their reoccurring bills. The question ultimately is, you know, hey Lee, should I just put that money back in my portfolio? And as much as I would like to say yes, they really can do, in my opinion, a better job by taking those discretionary dollars, considering putting them into a life insurance policy. Because day one, I absolutely know what that is going to be worth down the road. I know it's tax-free. I just don't know the day of the check. You can't say that with any financial portfolio that either you or I represent. A great segment there. If any of you want to know a little bit more about a last to die policy, uh, please reach out to us. Lee Hyder is, you know, he's who I turn to when I, when I need uh, insurance with some of my clients. So we'll be uh, sure to get you guys hooked up if you have any questions about that, because it is definitely a, a valuable thing and a good way to leverage your money going forward. Was that, Moving uh, on. Well, I was going to say, was that short enough for you? Uh, you know, I could have, I'm sure you would have talked for another 15 minutes if I had allowed you to, but we're going to move on. Okay. I got a good quote that I wrote down here that I thought it'd be fun to throw in today's show. You ready? I'm, I'm ready. Cocaine is God's way of saying you make too much money. Robin Williams said that. Wow. <laughs> so no, no comment at all, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to respond to that. You know, I, I guess I'm not making too much money because I'm not certainly venturing into the world of cocaine or any other <laughs> discretionary drug. Well, it just made me start to think of the, the uh, movie, um, I'm drawing a blank now, The Wolf of Wall Street, you know, just how out of control those guys were and how crazy that lifestyle was. And I, I don't know, what was that, back in the 80s? Yeah. You know, I, I think the bigger point, though, really that that, you know, Robin Williams makes and maybe, you know, some of the other famous people in Hollywood that have passed away. You know, I think those people that really focus on lifestyle uh, ultimately are not happy. You know, they, they focus on lifestyle. They focus on their, you know, their, their dollars, their career. And I think the lesson for all of us, certainly during this Corona period of time where people have kind of drawn closer into their family and look for other things, you know, at the end of the day, for all the listeners, you know, it's certainly important to do a good job with your portfolio, but, but there really needs to be more than how much money you have. I mean, if, you have, if you're blessed and you have enough money to be able to pay your bills, take vacations, help your family, that's great. But at the end of the day, one of the things that I've learned from my clients is there really needs to be a much greater balance, something that you really take a lot of joy and happiness in doing after you retire, for sure. Absolutely. And you can't take it with you. And uh, my wife and I talk about that all the time. We talk about like having peaks with our children, you know, those great, amazing memories that, that no one can take from you that you'll remember forever. And just how important it is to make those memories and stuff, you know, with family and, and enjoy the yeah. times you have together. Cause you may, you may, you, you may be able to take it with you, but then you're going to certainly have to hire security guards around your gravestone and be sure nobody's there late at night with a flashlight and a shovel. <laughs> it's getting to know you time. So Lee, you started being on the podcast quite uh, consistently here lately, and I think you add a lot to the podcast. But because of that, I think it's very important for us to uh, get to know you a little bit better. Uh, once again, I know you like to talk and you like to hear yourself talk. So uh, give me about a two-minute version of tell us about Lee Hyder, where you come from, what you believe in, uh, where you live, and all that stuff. Wow. Only two minutes? Uh, you can do longer than that, but you don't have 30. 
Oh, okay, that's good. Uh, no, I mean, I've been in the financial service industry for just literally uh, going on 28 years. I, I love what I do. And I think I love what I do because I love my clients. I mean, I've always been the kind of person that really loves interacting with people. Uh, I love uh, looking at a financial situation as a jigsaw puzzle. There's many different pieces. Ultimately, we start off doing it backwards, meaning, you know, what's this picture supposed to look like when you retire? And then we take a look at what you're doing and we determine are the things you're doing, the things that ultimately will get you to where you want to be. And if not, that's when it becomes fun and creative to come up with other solutions to help you achieve your goals. I've always been based in what I would refer to as an educational platform. And what I mean by that is I teach at many of Northeast Ohio uh, universities retirement planning. And quite often, many of the people that attend my retirement planning classes, and my classes, by the way, are really designed for people maybe 45 and older. It's not designed for the children, children, the kids that are going through college. It's almost designed for their parents, maybe to help figure out how to finish paying for college. But quite often, we meet many of our clients at an educational event at our college classes, and then they decide to come into our office. They meet with me. They meet with my attorney. They meet with one of our CPAs. And we continue, uh, if they become a client, on our journey of education because about every six to eight weeks, we invite our clients to an educational meeting of some type. Maybe it's a breakfast meeting, maybe it's a brunch or a dinner meeting. But what we do at that particular meeting is we talk about what's going on in the world as it relates to portfolios, money, markets, things of this nature. Because I think if people are left to their own, they're going to gravitate naturally to the TV, the radio, the internet, maybe their well meaning friend to get financial advice. And I see my educational classes as kind of a counterweight to kind of help them. Maybe just at the time they may be getting magnetically pulled in a dangerous direction with their investments, we kind of pull them back to center and help keep them on track. I'm also excited to say that we've just recently uh, published our eighth book called Corona Chaos, how to uh, be sure that your 401k or any other investments survive the next pandemic. So we're, we're always excited to not only teach, but we like to kind of you know, put some of the things that we teach down on paper so people can read these from time to time. So, um, and we've enjoyed the um, opportunities that you've given us to take a little bit of our information and really share it with your listeners. Well, Lee, that was great. And I'm glad you took the time to talk about all the stuff that you guys do and how great you are. And that's, that's how we got to be friends is because Lee is an amazing educator, a great advisor. Um, he has mentored me for a few years and, and shared a lot of things and been very gracious with that. But through that whole process, and this is typical Lee. Lee didn't talk about himself, really, about who he is at all. Why is that, Lee? Well, I don't know. I guess in this form, it's really not about me. I mean, <laughs> we, we, we really have a very limited amount of time. And, you know, I just really want to use the time that I've been fortunate enough that you've given me to really help people look inward, you know, for them to really examine what they are doing. You know, are they fearful? Do they have some genuine concerns? You know, and then if they do, and many of us do, uh, you know, you know, what should they consider doing? Who should they talk to? How do they consider or determine if they're really even talking or working with the right financial advisor? You know, so again, it's really not about me. I, I just appreciate the opportunity to kind of shed some light on some of the topics that sadly, most people don't get enough opportunity really to explore. Well, and that, that's why the, the Hiders Herd is, is so special because it is a family and it is a group that takes care of each other and handles all those those issues. And as you can tell, Lee is very, very uh, gracious to take the time and, and very good about talking to his clients and having events and, and stuff like that, which I think is uh, very admirable. Um, thank you very much, Lee. We appreciate getting to know you a little bit better. I appreciate the opportunity to share. 
Well, hey there. We hope you're enjoying listening to the Pilot's Advisor today. Just wanted to take a quick moment from the show to remind you that if you have any questions ever about what Ryan talks about on the program, need any assistance with your financial planning, need some guidance to get to and through retirement, or whatever financial questions might be on your mind, don't ever hesitate to reach out. The simple way to get in touch with Ryan is to pick up the phone and call or text 843-475-3038. Again, that's 843-475-3038. You can also find Ryan online at FlemingFG.com. That's FlemingFG.com. And as always, we put contact information to get in touch with Ryan in the description or the show notes section of the program. So just check it out on whatever app you're using, and it's easy to get in touch with Ryan. All right, now back to the show. All right, so uh, for today's show, we're going to talk about retirement ready. And, you know, of course, we've had a lot of uh, things that have happened this year with the coronavirus to get us sitting back and going, wow, where are we at in our retirement? Where are we at in our life? So what I want to talk about is, are you clinging to false hope? So we often find that people are clinging to certain ideas or beliefs that end up giving them a false sense of security or hope about their retirement. And I think it's a dangerous position to be in. So I wanted to explore some of the faulty thinking that ultimately leaves people unprepared for retirement. We talked on another show about people not being disciplined and not starting early and, and procrastinating. So there's some of those issues. So here we go. So number one would be the mindset that you'll be ready to retire once you hit a certain number in your savings. What do you think about that, Lee? Yeah, I think that's important to really differentiate between the period of your life that you are accumulating your portfolios and your working and when you reach a retirement age, whenever that would be for any of your listeners. There's a big difference between just kind of growing your portfolio, which is a wonderful thing to do, and then when it's time to what I refer to as harvesting, harvesting my monthly distribution to uh, assist me in paying my reoccurring bills, you know, that takes a completely different mindset. So quite often people simply look at a portfolio and they say, oh, I've got plenty of money. But, you know, they don't even really know what their expenses are going to be down the road. So how can you determine, do I have enough money today to be able to withdraw the appropriate amount down the road to pay my reoccurring bills and factor in there from time to time a 15 or 20% correction in the market? Well, and what I see out of this is there's two, you talked about the two separate phases of retirement planning. You have the accumulation phase where you're building that money up, and then you have the distribution phase where you're living, or as you say, harvesting off of that snowball. And when I look at a certain number in your savings, then that's when you can retire. There's a lot more variables to go into that because you could hit that number. Let's say that number is $2 million, okay? Sure. And if I had $2 million, well, then I can live off that for, you know, 20, 30 years based off of our calculations or what have you. But if you hit that number at like 40, well, then your distribution phase is going to be a lot longer than 20 or 30 years, assuming that you live that long and you're going to run out of money. That number has to have something else attached to it and some more assumptions attached to it, meaning you're only going to live 25 to 30 years after that number. And, and that would be a good plan. But if you're going to live 40 to 50, then we got a problem. It, it also amazes me when somebody comes in my office and they will kind of say, well, you know, do I have enough money to retire? You know, the first thing I ask them is, well, what are your monthly reoccurring expenses? And so few people can accurately determine what their expenses are when I meet them for the first time. You, you can't even begin to determine <laughs> no matter how much money they have, is it enough? So I, feel again, like, I feel like we're going back to that whole B word, the budget that nobody wants well, to talk about. 
Well, you know, I'm not necessarily talking about a budget, but I am talking about getting a clear understanding because a minute ago you said, you know, certain times people don't have a reality. But if you don't know what you're spending, and I'm not calling that a budget, I'm just calling that an expense report. If you just don't know how much money you will need when you retire, then you're not even in the reality world of determining, do I have enough? And that's so critical. And that's a great lead into the next one when I talk about false hope. And it's the belief that your income needs will drastically decrease when you retire. And I don't really think that's the case. I honestly think your expenses go up when you retire. You know, today it's interesting. You know, most people work nine to five, maybe a little earlier, maybe a little later, Monday to Friday. Some people even work on a Saturday. So they don't really have, if you think about, there's 168 hours in a week. You know, most of the time we are working or sleeping, but when I retire, it's like all of a sudden I have 168 hours that I can play, that I can go out to breakfast with friends. I can go golfing three days a week. I have so much more time. We find most of our clients, their expenses go up when they retire, meaning they may need more money. Well, and and we, when we look at retirement and we look at the distribution phase, there's actually three points of that, 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 I think most people, number one, don't think that their income's going, income needs are going to go up, which you basically said you disagree. I disagree with it as well. And the three phases of that are right when you retire and you're still healthy and can move around, it's called the go-go years, you know, where you're spending more, you're vacationing, you're trying to uh, get that bucket list knocked out and do all those things that you wanted to do that you couldn't do while you were working all those years. And then it, you get into the slow go where you know, things are starting to slow down. You're not traveling as much. And then lastly, the no-go years where you're basically health has, you know, deteriorated. You're just not really traveling or doing much of anything because of your health. So initially on retirement, I would say that income needs increase and then they slowly decrease as you get closer and closer to the no-go years, but your medical expenses increase at that point in time. So it probably evens itself out. Not, not only the medical expenses, but I also find what happens is, you know, if you're going to spend what you and I would call a little more money than we as your advisor are comfortable you taking out of your portfolio on a reoccurring basis per year, you can get away with that in the early parts of your retirement. But because like what you're saying, for many reasons, you know, people's uh, expenditures tend to go down. We get a little uh, more grumpy as we retire and we get a little older. All of a sudden, your once husband that was adventurous and liked hiking, now he hates TSA and the inconvenience of the airport so much that he doesn't even like to travel that much anymore. So all of those times you were spending money on cruises and really exotic trips, you know, now it's uh, maybe to the local park or, uh, you know, some other local activity. So I, I, I think I agree with you clearly that during the early phases of retirement, you know, you can probably get away with spending a little more money than we're comfortable you, you doing. But as you get a little older, for many, many reasons, I think you're going to find your expenses during retirement will go down as well. All right. Well, here's a good, another good one that's not a very good retirement plan and probably giving you a little bit of false hope. Some people's retirement plan is the assumption that you'll receive an inheritance at some point, and that's going to make up for any shortfall in your savings. Boy, that's, uh, you know, it's, it may sound like a great plan for you, but I don't know how good of a plan it is for the person you're waiting to uh, hand you that check for. <laughs> well, um, and, you yeah. know, and you know what they always say about people that have assumptions. I'm, I'm not even going to go there. I think this is a PG show, but I, I certainly know where you're going. Yeah, I think you got to be careful. Um, I, again, there's a lot of things. I mean, I, I think the reality in life is, you know, you need to build a retirement plan that's based on you, your portfolio, your time frame, your income, your expenses. 
And whatever happens, be it with an inheritance or a, or a lottery winning or, or who knows what, I think that's kind of just, you know, frosting on the cake. Well, absolutely. And I look at this, I think there will always be some form of Social Security, but I think it's going to be a reduced amount from what we see right now. And, and I also look at, you know, Social Security as being one of those things that, yes, you know, that's going to be in your plan, but you also need to plan for the possibility of that being a little bit less than what you, you thought yeah. going forward. So. I can I, I can actually see, uh, you know, and, and I talk about this jokingly at my educational classes at the universities. You know, I can see a, a grandparent walking their grandson or daughter through uh, one of the halls of the Smithsonian Institute, which is called the good old days. And they've got pictures of social security checks and big corporations. And, and they talk about pensions and, and health insurance and all of those things, because, uh, you know, I don't know, I'm not as optimistic as you are. I think if we kind of had the ability to parachute ourselves 25, 30 years in the future, I think some of the things that people are really hanging their hat on may be on a very, very loose hook. Yeah, they're probably not there. Hey, this is a good one. Uh, you ever see on those 401k uh, planning pages or what have you, where it has the assumption that the income estimate that's on your 401k statement's actually accurate. So you get that person that has, you know, like $60,000 in their 401k and the estimator showing that they're going to have $20,000 of income when they're 60 years old. <laughs> Well, we, we, we go back to that assumption again. I, I think what's even more comical, and I write about this in my latest book, uh, Corona Chaos, you know, how to protect your 401k from the next pandemic, are the target date funds. You, you know, oh, it's, yeah. so, it's so amazing to me that when somebody walks in my office and they ask me about their 401k and they show me a statement, you know, they, and let's assume they're going to retire in 2025. You know, they may have their entire five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars $700,000 of their 401k in a 2025 target fund. For your listeners that may not know what a target fund is, it's basically a collection of all different investments that somebody basically feels based upon your age you should have. And they call that a, a, a target fund because the assumption is you're going to retire in 2025. Therefore, we know what everybody in that age bracket ought to own, which I think Every, is ridiculous. Because everybody's situation is exactly the same. Oh my God, that, that's, you know, I mean, I mean, putting all your money in a target fund is the equivalent of McDonald's having 20 different re restaurants. This restaurant is for people that are 12. This restaurant's for people that are 30. This restaurant is for people that are 45. I mean, it just, does, it, it just doesn't give you any personalization, any, any, any ability to customize the plan for your particular circumstances and your risk tolerance. Well, and we, we probably need to have a whole show on target date funds because there's much, much more that goes into it besides just that. So we'll, we'll have to do a, a show on target date funds because that is definitely a very lazy way to start saving for retirement and is very actually uh, detrimental to many, many people out there. Yeah, plus I heard there's a great, plus I heard there's a great book on, on, on 401ks out there somewhere. <laughs> so anyway, if you if you want to uh, get a copy of Lee's book, Corona Chaos, or he also has a book out there about 401k stuff, um, reach out to us. We'll get you guys a copy of that. And you can uh, see how Lee was not an English major. There's some great... Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> does, 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 does that hurt? It's true, but you know, that hurts. <laughs> no, he has some great financial information in there, some great uh, 401k information, how to protect your portfolio with... Uh, if another pandemic or coronavirus goes through, but I, I actually did uh, proofread some of his stuff before it goes to print. And it, I, I give him, I make fun of him a little bit for that. But anyway, well, I, 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 I only let you proofread it for you to have some fun and have something that you can tease me with because I'm so great in so many other areas. I mean, there would be nothing to, you know, rattle me with if it wasn't for my <laughs> occasional uh, typo or something. Well, um, 
Lee, I agree. You are, you are pretty great. And I actually appreciate you sharing it with me. So, all right, we're going to do one last false hope and we're going to wrap up today's show because I think everybody's tired of listening to us talk. So the last notion of false hope for retirement is that you'll figure out how to make it work in retirement because you'll be able to cut your spending way down if you have to. I don't know. I think that just really goes back to what you and I said a few minutes ago, which is the assumption people think that when they retire, they're going to be spending less. And I've found numerous studies, you know, that, that clearly uh, point to the, uh, the opposite end. You know, you've got more time, which simply means uh, you're not going to work eight or 10 hours a day. So those eight or 10 hours a day give you greater opportunity to cruise the world of Amazon or any other website you decide to purchase from. It gives you the ability to go to one of my favorite stores, Home Depot or Lowe's. It gives you the ability to go shopping. It gives you the ability to play golf more often, have your great retirement luncheons. So, I mean, I, I, I don't think expenses go down. I think it really shocks people that pay attention to how much they are spending. And sadly, a lot of people aren't. How much more you may find yourself spending during the retirement years? Absolutely. Well, Lee, thanks for another great show being on uh, today. Uh, we'll talk about target date funds in the future. If you guys want any copies of Lee's book, uh, reach out to me, send me an email. We'll get you copies of that. Uh, Lee, thanks for being on the show. And uh, hopefully you can be uh, a regular uh, going forward because I think you have a lot of valuable uh, stuff for all our listeners. Wow. I look, I look forward to it. It was fun. It's always fun chatting with you and finding out kind of where you are in the world. It saves me tens of thousands of dollars on traveling. All I have to do is look at your pictures, where you are, and I can just take that location off my bucket list. All right, Lee, we appreciate it. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you again for your time. All right. Stay well, my friend. All right. You take care. You've been listening to The Pilot's Advisor, featuring Ryan Fleming, a financial advisor at Fleming Financial Group, serving clients worldwide, but based out of Charleston, South Carolina. If you have any questions for Ryan on what we've talked about on today's show, maybe a future topic idea, or want to talk more about getting a complimentary review of your financial plan, here's the best ways to get in touch. You can go online to the website, FlemingFG.com. That's FlemingFG.com. You can also email Ryan. It's simply ryan at flemingfg.com. Or you can call or text to get in touch. 843-475-3038 is the number. That's 843-475-3038. Thanks for listening to The Pilot's Advisor. And don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcasting apps. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, in many more locations. So whatever app you like to use, search for the Pilots Advisor podcast today and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.